as we go forward in chapter 6, we left off last week where he, he talked about when you give, when you pray, and the manner you pray, and when you fast. So we covered all that, and now he's coming forward, and he's going to be talking about really like kingdom faith and real life finances and perspective, and we get some really famous scripture and one that I certainly quote quite often, I quote Matthew 6.33 quite often, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We get that passage tonight. So we're going to pick it up, and as we go forward in the text tonight, there's really four segments to this text, and as we read, I'm going to read them all, and then we'll break them down one at a time, and our message tonight is called, It's This or That. Because in all four passages, it's this or that. In the Bible, there's a lot of things that are like this and that. Like, I'll take this gift and that gift, right, from the Lord. But there's a lot of things that it's this or that. You know, it's the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh, right? It's this or that. And these passages tonight, all four of them have, it's this or it's that. So Jesus makes it really simple for the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven versus the things of men and the temporal. We pick it up in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles uh, seek after, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So there seems to be a connection with finances for sure in the first, third, and fourth parts, which leads us to believe there's certainly a financial connection in the second part because it's clustered in there with the one, three, and four. So let's look at this. And again, it's this or it's that. I love the clarity. The Lord just gives absolute clarity. It's this or it's that, but it can't be both, all right? So the first thing is to not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And it's interesting because Jesus even gives a practical reason why you don't want to be obsessed with laying up treasures on earth. 
Well, it's, it's entropy, moths and rust. That's entropy. I learned this a few years back. I mean, I guess I could have thought of it before then, but within a year or two, we sold my father's house and my mom's house. Both those houses were in Vista. One was on a hill and one was in a valley. They're about two miles apart. They maintained their friendship, but they were not married. They'd gotten divorced in the 70s, right? But they maintained friendship and it was fine. But my mom was a realtor and she always took care of her house. She was always doing upgrades. Like she upgraded her kitchen. She did this, put in the skylight in the bathroom and that kind of stuff. And she had a great view and it mattered to her, you know, Vista, she had the Vista view and beautiful house. She told me before she passed away that she put over 100,000 into her house in, in improvements and upgrades. She redid her back patio and all this stuff. And she, of course, my mom being my mom, she had a receipt for everything she ever did. It was right in the box where she told me it would be when she was gone. It was right where she said it was. And lo and behold, it was like $105,000 in the house. My dad lived in his house for 40, almost 40 years in the valley in Vista. And he didn't do anything to his house. So he was septic, because he was rural, he was septic. And, you know, it was a small house. It was an old house, big lot, beautiful lot. You couldn't subdivide it and put, you know, duplex or anything on there. The, the zoning was against that. So it's a big lot. And whoever bought it was going to eventually tear down the house for sure. And so my dad, passed, my dad moved on from that house first when he went into assisted living and then memory care. And so we had to sell that house. But we realized there was so much uncertainty with the house, the underground plumbing, the cast iron plumbing, the septic needed replacing, the roof needed replacing, that literally we had to drop the price by 100000 But we Because the plumbing could be like 20000 or 80000 And the person that bought it was a plumber, so they were willing to take on that risk, and they bought the house. So we lowered my dad's house from what would have been the market value had it been taken care of properly, 100000 About a year or two later, we sell my mom's house, and we put a little bit into it, and it doubled what that would be. And so we actually were able to get 50000 more because my mom maintained her house. But the irony hit me that with both my dad's house and my mom's house, I learned something. In 30 years of owning a house, you're going to put $100,000 in it. You're going to put $100,000 in it to maintain its value, or you're going to drop the price of 100000 when you sell it, because that's what entropy does. That's what rust and moth do in the human experience. Rust and moth... Look what it does to your car. We saw, Jennifer and I saw a beetle on the road the other day, you know, a Volkswagen bug. And Jennifer's so into those, and she knows by the back lights what year they are. So she's on the phone, it's like, oh, it's 1967. And it's like, why don't we see those cars anymore? Because they're gone. I posted all my surfboards from 1983 on Instagram the other day. A number of top surfers like, hey, please tell me you have at least one of those boards from 1983. And I'm embarrassed to do my social media responses and I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I don't have any of them. They all went the way of surfboards from the 80s, most of them. Entropy will destroy your wealth one way or another. In fact, it's fascinating. The great city of Babylon was buried under sand until about 150 years ago when it was rediscovered. 60-foot high walls, Nebuchadnezzar's great kingdom, buried under sand. No one even knew where it was. Isn't that amazing? The streets on top of the walls were as wide as the... The cross side of the sanctuary for chariots, all this stuff. It's all there in the tablets. Buried under sand thousands of years later. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is doing us a favor when he tells us, hey, entropy, that is the second law of thermodynamics, will destroy your wealth. 
It'll take 100,000 out of your house or houses every 30 years. It will, your plumbing, all these beautiful houses in Huntington Beach down by the beach, they're all cast iron plumbing. I mean, it's a ticking time bomb. I know I have one. It's just the way it goes. Moths will eat your clothes. We have the, we have the ongoing war with moths at our house. My wife's always like, got to get the moths, you know. I'm like, well, can we let them live? Yeah, no, outside. Okay. The other element with your wealth in the temporal is men stealing your wealth. I shared this just a couple of services ago, but my good friend Steve once said to me, he goes, the problem with having all that money is I can't sleep at night thinking about who's trying to take it and how they're going to take it and how to keep them from taking it. I'm like, wow, that's a pretty heavy burden. He's like, yeah, it is. Well, I was reading Ecclesiastes last week, and that's literally what it says back in chapter 5. Solomon, the richest man there was in his time, it says he was the richest man on planet Earth in his time. He said, I'll tell you what you do. You worry about you can't sleep at night about how you're going to lose it and who's coming to take it. Well, what did Jesus just say here? Don't stir up your treasures on earth because your house is going to depreciate in its, its makeup of what it's made of because thanks to Father Adam and sin on the human race, everything's in a state of decay my body and my dad's house and it's all it's all going to go that way it all gets redistributed we talk about this it all gets left behind so jesus is doing us a favor he's like hey the universe will destroy your your asset wealth and men will try and steal your asset wealth and that's just the way it works and that's the history of humanity jesus is doing his disciples a favor saying hey look we know you got to live but don't live for this because it's a never-ending thing that's never accomplished. You never arrive. Or as when they quoted Rockefeller, how much is enough? And he goes, just a little bit more. Right? And so it's a good word what he says here. So it's the temporal or the eternal. It's the temporal that's fading and can be stolen or the eternal that is reserved in glory for us that can't be taken. Jesus said when we do things for the kingdom, with our time, our energy, and our resources, we're storing up treasures in heaven, and it's reserved for us, and no one can take it from us. It just can't be taken from you. No one can hack your account. No one can do this. No one can call and, and give you a spam call and swindle you out of your wealth or something. Like It just can't happen. It's there, and no one can take it from you. Isn't that beautiful? It's the ultimate... You know, people are like, hey, invest in real estate, invest in precious metals, you know, invest in this and invest in that and crypto or whatever. And it's like, hey, invest in heaven and eternity. Remember, a cup of cold water in Jesus' name has an eternal reward. So all those things that we do store up eternal treasure when we do them as unto the Lord. It's this or that. And what the this is, it's our purpose in life. It's our passion in life. It's what we're living for, and we're thinking about eternity, we're living for eternity, and we are investing in eternity. And Jesus says, that's something no one can take from you, and therefore I say to you, don't worry, <laughs> don't, don't store up your treasures on earth, man. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where the things of the temporal cannot take from the glory and the blessings and the fruit of the eternal. And of course, the most important element is where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So if our treasure is in asset wealth or money or whatever it might be in the human experience, that's where our heart's going to be. 
And that's what we're going to think about. We're going to think temporal treasures first instead of eternity first. But if our mindset and perspective is eternity in the kingdom, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying, store up your treasures in heaven. If our focus is the kingdom of heaven, then we're just going to, it's going to, it's going to stay in the front. The eternal, the spiritual and the eternal are going to guide our, and govern our decisions, and they'll own us in our thinking and our processes, and all that we have will belong to the Lord. But if it's the other, if we're earthly treasures, they're going to own us, and they're going to govern us, and it's going to skew our thinking for the kingdom, and we can play the fool. And one thing we all know, the older people will agree with me, that the greatest thing you can have when you're over 60 is good health. And there are many wealthy people that own hundreds of millions of dollars of asset, but they can't get rid of physical pain or get their eyesight back or their hearing back or their limbs back or whatever. I'm realizing in my early 60s, the greatest thing that I can have is good health. Because good health and happiness, that is contentment in your journey. To be happy with it, your, your faith with the Lord, your family and the people you love. Man, you're fine. If you've got good health and you've got good relationships with family and friends, man, you... You're way ahead of the game. Because all these beautiful homes you think are awesome in Malibu and Dana Point, they do get left behind. And I wish everyone well who owns those houses, but they might have physical infirmities there's no pain relief from. And they might have bickering in their houses. They can't even enjoy a piece of toast on a Sunday morning and a cup of coffee. But to have good health, to have faith in the Lord and good health and family that you love and loves you back, man, that's, that's golden. Moving toward eternity. Store up our treasures in heaven. That's what Jesus said. The second thing he said about the eye. So this is, this is interesting. The lamp of the body is the eye. And therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Okay. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Hmm. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the either or on the either, you know, it's one or the other. It's either light or darkness, right? So we have Temporal or eternal on the first one, time or eternity, and now we have light or darkness. So it would seem because the context is finances and wealth, that is how we see things, like how we see things. How do we see temporal wealth? I mean, that would seem to be the context. But of course, we know that if your heart is good. You see things the way you should. Like if you have a right heart with the Lord and you're thinking of the Lord, if you're Romans 8, you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh, you're going to see with the things of the Spirit. You're going to see things the way the Lord sees them. You're going to be spiritually minded. And to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But to be carnally minded is death, as it says in the New Testament. So if our heart is right with the Lord and our perspective is right, and we do have the eternal perspective on our wealth and how we approach things in life and things that really matter, things that don't matter, then it would seem that we see things the right way. But when people's vision is clouded by, by greed and money and contentions and, and these things that just divide people, oh, it can just get so cloudy and you can lose your way. You might find yourself in a situation like that, but don't choose to be in that situation like that. Don't be the perpetrator in that situation. It's okay to be a victim and just go with the flow and, you know, as it says in Romans, as much as up to you, the peace be with all men, but that is just a terrible place to be. 
And so when I look at this passage, that light, it's light or darkness, the light would be where, you know, your perspective is eternity. Your perspective, perspective is the kingdom. Heaven is home. We're just passing through. Father Abraham was the father of faith, and he dwelt in tents, as did the patriarchs. He looked for the city which had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. That's the right perspective. So if your eye, if your heart's that perspective, then you see things like, that's all going to burn. It's temporal. It's no, you know, it's like, it is what it is. You know, like, it, it just is what it is, and we just got to let it go, and, and that's, that's the way it works in the human experience. So what we need to do is we need to have faith in the Lord. Well, we need to have humility and gratitude, but we need to have faith and obedience, and then we just look at things like, hey, the Lord's got this, and you know, I, I feel bad for these people. That's the way they are, or, or I want to help these people, or, you know, and, ah, what, what can we do to make this better? And that's too bad for them. Look, we all know this. When someone takes from you, it's cause and effect in God's economy and his universe. Like I said, when I woke up about seven months ago and saw that our, our, our blue Genesis was uh, keyed all over, it was keyed all over, somebody keyed all over, and I was surprised that my first thought was like, yeah, it was Sunday morning. I'm going for a walk with my wife. It's my day off. It's a joyful morning. I noticed this, this key all over the car. And, and I, you know, I got to tell you, this is when you, you realize sometimes you're, like, you're growing in your faith. But my first thought was like, man, what a bummer for them. Because I'm fine. Like, this is just a car. It's a lease. They'll fix it. They'll take it as is. It's, it's not on me. It's, it's friends of the family because my son works for Hyundai. But the person that did this, when they did this to me, they did it to them. Like Haman building the, the gallows for Mordecai, he hung on the very gallows he built. God has set up this universe of perfect justice. And when people take, 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 and take from you, they're really taking from themselves. Ultimately, they hurt themselves. They might hurt you in the short term, but faith triumphs over that. We overcome by our faith. And an eternal perspective, because Steve and Mock do exist and rust. But the person that does that and never learns it, they're just on a downward spiral going down, down, down because they're taking and just keep on taking and they're drowning and they're, ah, it's the worst. But when you can just keep your eyes on the Lord and keep your eye good, where it's like, yeah, the perspective is like all things work together for good and you can keep that perspective. And it, it hurts to lose money and it even hurts more when someone takes it. But still, for the kingdom, it's an upward spiral of maturity where the light in you is good. Like, you know, Lord, it is what it is. Aren't, well, listen, you younger people, no one's arrived. Danny Donnelly and I were talking before service. He's talking about how much he's grown and learned in the last couple years. He's grown so much and learned in life. And I was like, yeah, me too. I'm like, I've grown a lot. Like my whole life's been restructured and it's, it's going great. And I've learned a lot. I've read books. I've, I've learned a lot. I've watched videos. I've done this. I, I'm growing. No one's arrived. We're going to make life mistakes. We're going to make financial mistakes. We're going to make relationship mistakes. The key is to grow and learn from it and get better, right? Yes and amen. Yeah. Your adult kids don't arrive any time while you're alive. They don't ever become the fullest version you hoped they would be. Any more than you become the fullest version of a parent maybe they hoped you would be. I mean, they might esteem you. and may, They may think you have arrived, so good for you, and that's awesome. But we're all under construction. So if the light in you is good and your eye is good, the whole body is good, and you'll just see things the way God wants you to see them. You'll handle financial setbacks and the storms that affect you financially in a better way because you'll handle it with humility and obedience and faith and a teachable spirit. 
what can I learn from this? You learn something new from every situation of life as a person of character in relationships like marriage, if you're married, with children, with your children, you're learning. We're all, we're all. When I went surfing with my son Timmy on Thursday, and I just enjoyed hanging out with Timmy. I just thought, I'm still learning so much in my relationship with my adult son Timmy. It's not like I've arrived, like our relationship is growing. I used to be the dad that took him to T-ball and went to 7-Eleven and got Slurpees and Maple Bars. That's the way it was in 2001. Now he's the captain of the Catalina Flyer. And it's, he's Captain Timmy. It's a different time. We love him. And so just be encouraged. Keep the eye good. You see, if the heart is good, where your heart is, your treasure will be. If your heart is on eternity and spiritual, then you're going to see things the right way. That's what Jesus is saying. You're going to see things the way you should. Like, yeah, it's disappointing. That's frustrating. That hurts. But you're going to keep it in the spiritual and eternal perspective. Life in general, and specifically financial things. So we want to be women and we want to be men who have faith and we keep obeying the Lord in spite of the storms that come against us or things that happen to us. And we truly are positive because we were singing the song earlier, we're coming from his victory and, and we're going to glory. So we have a positive disposition. We know that God is good, God is light, and God's always going to be for us. So we're encouraging and we have the right perspective. We have the perspective of light and life. Because it says in the Gospel of John that Jesus is the light and life of men. And when we have the kingdom perspective, we have the perspective of the light and life of men in us. And we see things in this universe the way God wants us to see them, kingdom-minded. And we, we see these things. And we do become the peacemakers. And we're called the sons of God. We do walk in purity and we see God. We do show mercy and we do receive mercy. And we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, but ours is the kingdom of heaven. See, it's all just building as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. So the light is perspective. So the heart is the first one. Perspective is the second one coming from that heart. The third one is God and mammon. It's just one verse, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. What? That's an absolute statement, isn't it? I mean, if I said that at a success seminar or some whatever you go like well maybe this is jesus saying you cannot serve two masters this is an absolute theological authority of truth for his universe it's impossible to serve two masters and in this case the masters are the lord and riches so that's the contrast that jesus is giving here because mammon is large scales of wealth now we know the story of the rich young ruler where he's like, he was justified in his mind, like he kept all the commandments. He was a good guy. He really was a good guy. He didn't cheat on the scales when he was doing business. You wanted, you wanted to do business with the rich young ruler in AD 32. He was a good guy. You could trust him. He gave you the right quote. He, he, he had the skill set. He was a man of integrity. But when all, when all came to a head between him and Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus knew there was one thing that kept him from the kingdom. And that was his love of money. And Jesus said, this is what you lack. Go and sell everything and then follow me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't serve two masters. It was, it was this or that. It's Jesus or mammon. And the rich young ruler is the, the poster child of someone fulfilling this. He just couldn't do it. You know, and you, you, I think there's something in all of us we go like, well, maybe he could have done it like a 
75%, huh? Maybe you do like Jesus 75% and Rich is 25% because he's very successful. It's not the amount of the wealth. It's not even the wealth. It's the heart. It's the, it's the heart for heaven. It's the kingdom perspective. And the Lord is first. The Bible tells us for the love of money, and pe- people, not money, but the love of money, people have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Pierce themselves through with many sorrows. There's warnings about overextending yourself with money, borrowing money, you shouldn't be borrowing, bad debt, all these things. But there's a whole lot of warnings about worshiping money, loving money, and never being content with enough money. See, we get them both. We get them on the, de- on the downside and the upside. So there's really, you know, we need that wisdom and humility with the Lord in the right perspective. You, you can't. It's such a powerful statement. You cannot serve two masters. Notice the, the word associations. He says, you will um, hate the one and love the other. Be loyal to the one, despise the other. Wow. So let's put these words together. Love and loyalty. When God is first in our life, our, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, there is going to be, who then is that faithful servant whom his master finds when, when his Lord returns? Well, that, well, the faithful servant would be what? A loyal servant. It's this or that. It's one or the other. And we're told here, you can choose a master that you love and you're loyal to. But the cause, the cause and effect is you can't serve two. So you're going to love one, hate the other, be loyal to one, and despise the other. There's such strong wording that Jesus uses, and he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Only one Lord, or as Billy Graham used to always say, Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all, right? So only one master. And if money is the master, you, you will see what will creep in is a resentment against God, that somehow God's trying to keep you from this plan, this financial plan, or this wealth, or whatever, and then instead of trusting the Lord to do all things he wants to do with your life, you start building your own life, and like, you know, God's, you know, you know God's going to take this from me, and so that person might become to the place where they despise the Lord, because the pursuit of wealth, temporal wealth. No one on their deathbed says, I should have worked harder to make more money. They're much more inclined to say, I should have given my family more attention, or I should have served the Lord more faithfully. But that person that would admit that usually just says, can you pray for me? Like, they, they, they feel so far from God. And as a minister, I've been in that situation more than once. But no one gets in the journey and says, I should have put more time in and made more money to leave more things behind. And if they do, they're just out of their mind. What we say, we'd say, is I, I should have spent more time with my family and giving them attention and not being distracted when they wanted my attention. I should have spent more time serving the Lord. I should have gone on that mission trip in my early 20s when I had the chance before I talked myself out of it. It's just a matter of perspective. Store up your treasures in heaven. The perspective you see, and you can't serve both. So you want to make sure you take that scale and you throw the hammer down, all the way down on serving God and make everything that would be against the Lord to be hated and despised when it's measured against the glory of the Lord and the things of the kingdom. That's what you want to do. 
But you can't go the teeter-totter in the middle like, oh, yeah, yeah, both. That, that never works. It's impossible for it to work. So anyone who thinks it works like that is self-deceived. Because Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. He makes it clear it's not possible. We can fool ourselves, but we can never fool the Lord. So this third point, no one can. So we want to be have love and loyalty to God, his word, his promises, his will. And we can summarize this one with this clear thought. To be single-minded. Because, of course, James chapter 1 tells us about the double-minded man or woman, double-minded. That's serving two masters and thinking you can. But to be single-minded, treasures in heaven, right perspective from the eyes, and the scale totally tilted for the Lord, is to be single-minded. There's no uncertainty over who you are, what you're about, and what you're living for. You're fine. And then finally, this fourth one is the longer text. We have more text here, verse 25 through 34. There's more text. And if you read it over and over and over and over and over, which I have done, certain things will jump out at you from this text. And the one thing that comes out there four times is do not worry. So do not worry about your life, right? Uh, Do not worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear. And then the big one. Do not worry about tomorrow. Right? Do not worry about tomorrow. So the do not worries. And in the contrast, so the, the, the this or that, the either or, the, the contrast, the this or that, this contrast, this is worry, worry, worry about your life, worry about your food, that's weekly expenses, Worry about what you're going to wear. That's just Target and everything there, you know, wherever you shop. It all goes together. And just life in general, all those things that you'd worry about. And, and then um, not to worry about tomorrow. And it says in the worrying, so we're just building this side of the scale again. This is the this versus that. On this side of the scale, it also he also says, do not worry saying. So you want to know what it sounds like when you're worried? Because Jesus tells us what you say when you're worried. He says, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What shall we wear? What about this? How are we going to do that? How are we going to do this? What about this? What about that? You know, like, what? Oh, what? And that's, you can just put life, other life experiences in these questions. So the worry is in place and reigning. And because we're worrying about our life and what to wear and what to eat and about tomorrow, our words just come out like, what about this and what about that and what about this? It all goes together. Because, of course, Jesus said from the abundance of a heart does a, a person speak. So the words always reveal the heart. And Jesus said, the worrisome person, they'll speak like this. So if you catch yourself speaking like this, you got to say, hey, take a step back and think this through. Listen to how you're talking if this is you. In contrast to worry, you, you find the what the that is, the this and the that. The that is faith, because he said, oh, you of little faith. So the cure, the, the key, the code in this sequence, the cure to worry is faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if we're inputting in our mind the scriptures and the promises, it just builds our faith. 
And it creates a, a mountain of strength and confidence from faith and the promises of God as we look at things that do tempt us to be worried and, and worried over. Because honestly, we all know there's things we can worry about. And I could give you some ideas what to be worried about if you're not sure what you should be worried about. <laughs> okay? Like, there's a lot going on on planet Earth in the last four years that, you know, should, you know, it's probably got your attention and probably has your attention, you know? So to be tempted with worry and, and to feel that pull, like, oh, that's, that's okay. But we're told to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Every thought that exalts itself against the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is faith in the person and the work and the promises of Jesus Christ. And he just said, oh, you have little faith. And I don't want him to say of me or you that we're of little faith. That's why you read two chapters of Nehemiah or a long chapter of Nehemiah on a Tuesday night or Esther coming up and then Job and the Psalms, right? We go verse by verse. So we were just putting, we're putting good input in. I know you know that. Like just reading all these scriptures together tonight, that's just, this is input to strengthen your faith. This is to build your faith, my faith too. Every time I read it, I, I, as I study these passages I'm teaching, I just over and over, I'm like, wow. And I walk the neighborhood thinking about these passages, and my faith is strengthened. We become like Paul, where we say, none of these things move me, because we know that God's got this. So the key to overcoming the worry and anxiety is to fill our minds with the Word of God, the right input, and not the things that cause fear. Some people just fill their minds with fear, fear, fear. They start their day with fear, things that unsettle them, fear, fear, fear. Start your day with peace and quiet and the word of God and prayer and make time for the Lord and still your mind. I've, I've been working more in this latter part of the year on memorizing scriptures when I'm being still. I, I, I can think in Russian and I can think in Spanish and uh, I, I can even think now in Korean to a fair degree. I've been learning Korean. I can read uh, Hangul. And, and so, like, I, and I put in the time. And as I've, been, as I've used my mind, which you should use because it's a great thing, your mind, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the hard drive. You get one, and we hardly use it. And I had this thought. It's like, hey, if I can learn, you know, an, a, an Asian language and read this alphabet and know these phonics and these sounds and begin to put this together, I, I can actually read stuff. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I would have never thought I'd see this day. It's pretty exciting. It's fun to see my mind seeing new things. I thought, well, I'm working hard to learn new languages because I'm getting older and I want my mind to work effectively, especially when I'm 90. You know, my mom did crosswords puzzles till her last day. There's things you do. And believe me, learning foreign languages is considered one of the number one things to keep your mind active and stimulated. And I'm like, hey, Spanish, Russian, Korean, you know, let's say, and I might add some other ones down the stretch. But in doing this, I had this thought as I'm just still in my mind and, you know, thinking of all these things in Spanish, like colors and counting and people and family members and, you know, pronouns and descriptions. And in my mind, I thought, you know, I should do this more with the word of God. Because sometimes I start to quote a scripture and I, I, I've got to half memorize the New King James and half memorize an NIV. <laughs> Or NAS, NASB, the New American Standard Bible was the first Bible I had the first year I was saved. And I learned like 60 scriptures in the NASB. And then I switched to New King James. And for whatever reason, my hard drive still goes, sometimes when I quote those scriptures. The fruit of the Spirit's a classic one. 
when I quote the fruit of the spirit, I'm like, oh, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, hubba, 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 you know, good faith, you know, happy, gentle, kind, you know. Like, it gets muddy. I'm like, it shouldn't be muddy. Like, it needs to be clear. Even like the six days of creation, you'd be surprised. I always get three and four flipped for whatever reason. Was it the birds on the third day or the moon? You know, like, and I, no. And I, and, or the, the fruit of the spirit or the Beatitudes. Since I taught the Beatitudes, like, I can't believe I don't have this completely memorized when I taught it two months ago. I've memorized it. That's why I can quote it when I'm teaching right now. But I can't quote it if I don't have it in me, nor can you. So it's the right input. And I've been waking up in the morning, and I've been going in my mind before I even open my eyes and talk to my wife or the dogs, whoever's up first, is creation, Ten Commandments, Beatitudes, Fruit of the Spirit, and other ones. See, that's the right input. If you start your day reminding who created everything, reminding what his standards are for right and wrong, remind yourself what Jesus taught us, what kingdom living looks like, and what a spirit-filled man looks like, that's a good way to start your day. You're not going to worry when you're thinking about creation and the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes and the fruit of the Spirit. What are you going to worry about? Let his word set the tempo and the cadence of our day and our week and our journey and go stronger and deeper, stronger and deeper, farther and faster with the Lord. I've been thinking, like, how much might I forget if I lived to be in my mid-90s? Well, I want to put more in there so when I lose more, I still got more to pull from. Not acid wealth that gets left behind or divided into trust, but just I want my mind, even if it's fuzzy when I'm 93, because I know what fuzzy at 93 looks like. I see it every week. And if I'm fuzzy at 93, I want to make sure what's coming out is what went in, this stuff going in. Can I get a yes and amen? Absolutely. Absolutely. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's the right input. It's the right meditation. It's the right thinking. And then we can just say, like, Paul, I know who I've believed in and I'm able, persuaded he's able to keep that, which I've committed to him until this day. We're at peace. That's what Jesus wants us to be. He doesn't want us unsettled by the high tide, low tide of financial challenges, geopolitical events that shake and move us. He's going to tell us in the next chapter, build your house on the rock, right? We're going to get the house on the rock. The rock is his word. So worship generation, body of Christ. It's the heart. It's the perspective. It's single-mindedness, and it's faith. And it's this or that. So it's the eternal or the temporal. It's the light or the darkness. It's God or temporal wealth. And it's, it's faith or worry. And I think we can all agree that the first choice in all those is much better than the second choice. The kingdom perspective. It's a great way to live. And what I find so beautiful in God's economy is completely self-determined. We all choose. You know, that's the beauty of it. There's so much we can't control, right? But we definitely control whether or not our treasure and our heart is in heaven and eternity. We definitely control what our eyes see and how we see the world based upon our attitude and our heart with the Lord. We definitely control which master rules over us, the Lord or temporal wealth. And we definitely control whether we choose to focus on the promises of God or the fears of men.
We have absolute control over those things. And so I encourage you to, to make the right choices with those things. And let's just keep being kingdom people and be encouraged from this text.